When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Hey, this is Andrew Bowser. And I'm Sapphire Sandalo. And welcome to Alter Weekly. Coming up on the show, we talk with Nicole Goebel about disability representation in horror. Then we talk about the cult classic Freaks with Vanessa Guerrero. And on the Alter Society, we discuss You Should Have Left. But first, Sapphire. We haven't done a spooky check-in in a while. We haven't. Is there anything to check in that's on that's spooky in nature this <laughs> week? As always, well, nothing for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> your life is a waking nightmare. Exactly. Um, so. Oh, I did have a crazy nightmare the other night, but. <gasps> you have to, no, you have to share it now. Well, okay. It's a little real world E. Great. But uh, man, it put me on edge. Uh, it was, I feel like I can share now because the day has come and gone and nothing okay. happened, but it was an anxiety dream around mm-hmm. the inauguration. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting with my wife watching TV and it was CNN. And, you know, it was one of those things, dream logic, where we were watching the inauguration, but what was on screen wasn't the inauguration. Right. Uh, it was actually further footage from inside the Capitol building, but it was inauguration day. Um, and, uh, there was another attack and gas smoke spread into the chamber and I jumped up off the couch and I was like, oh my God, oh my God, it's happening. It's actually happening. And then people ran into the building and, and this time they were all armed. And I just looked at my wife. I was like, oh my God, we're about to see, you know, assassinations on, on live TV. And, and then I woke up and it was like 3.30 a.m. And I just had to get up and like do a lap around my house. I just had to walk around and sit down and take some breaths. Um, but luckily, the inauguration went off without a hitch. And mm-hmm. um, Lady Gaga slayed it. <laughs> we got some cool memes out of it. We got some great fucking memes. What a what a meme filled and, they, and it's like they were fun memes. They weren't the sad mm-hmm. memes that would come out of the Trump administration where they were memes that also made us sad and angry. Right. They, like, like, it, it, it's nice to sort of be in a place where we can joke about stuff that's not like so dire. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like, LOL, but this is destroying our country, LOL. Right. Um, hey, side note, is yes. the witching hour 3 a.m. or midnight? Oh, wait, did we talk about this? Mm, I don't think so. Okay, it came up in another conversation. I've always heard the witching hour is 3 a.m. Yes. Okay. Do you know the history of that? I don't know. Some some idiot told me midnight. I didn't agree with them. Uh, 
Well, there's a couple of different theories. The one that the first one I heard of was that like the number three is this is so I'm sure this is incorrect, but uh, the number three is thought to be a mockery of the Holy Trinity. And so it's used oh. by the devil as a mockery. Um, but I don't think that's actually why. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I think that was, I think that's more of like the Christian explanation for why 3am is creepy because you know how like right. everything in Christianity is like taking everything that is right. pagan and making it evil. You got to give it that Chris twist. and now that should that that's time for the uh spiritually cool check-in that sounded like a cue for the youth pastor to come in (laughs) yeah um so this is just something that i learned this week that i've been thinking about all week i can't stop so as you know i have another podcast where i interview people um who interview people about their paranormal experiences and also people who are just really knowledgeable about the spirit world because i want to learn and i was interviewing this girl and she so i was having her basically react to these stories that i narrated about different ways that people have healed and one of the stories is is a true story i mean according to the person who said it to me um i i believe it because i've also heard this from other people she told this story about how when she was 10 she broke her ankle and her mom picked her up from school didn't take her to the hospital took her to a mcdonald's and she was like why aren't we at the hospital and the mom like took a napkin took some ice water placed it on her ankle for like a little bit it started to burn and then when she pulled the napkin off her bruise was totally gone like the purple the purple bruise is gone and the purple huh wow and she was fine interesting yeah i know this isn't the idea of that is a little triggering for me only because it makes me think of like (gasps) christians what are they called christian scientists is that the people oh maybe who are the people that like don't believe in going to the doctor that's the only Uh, thing maybe that's them and like, you know, uh, but but I know that's not what you're saying this instance no. was, but I do get a little freaky uh, around things when it's like, uh, you know, prayer or healing. Right. Occurred. Well, here, yeah. Here's the thing. So this, so maybe this whole conversation is going to trigger you. Oh, no. Because, okay. So <laughs> full disclosure, I am not an anti-vaxxer. I am not yes. anti-medicine. Yes. That is not what I'm discussing here. Yes. Um. So when I shared that story with this woman that I was interviewing, she said that um, it reminded her of theta healing. Have you heard of that? I have not heard of theta healing. So I had never heard of this either. And so she she's just learning about this. And so she explained that, okay, there's different brain, le- not levels. There's levels of brain states. Okay. You know how there's like the, is beta one of them? I forget. But one of You're the You're talking brain- to the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know all the brain states? Yeah, right. So there's one that's the theta state. And that is supposedly one of the deepest forms of meditation that you could be in and it's it's also called the god state so basically the theory is that you can meditate so deeply on this level that if you eliminate everything in your body that is telling you that something is not possible yeah eliminate all of that in that state and when you come out of it you it's like that's real so basically like to what level you mean like neo like in the matrix there, <laughs> yes there is no spoon type of stuff 
kind of yeah 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 huh. and that's the thing like it I have to think about like it's all literally all I've been thinking about since I talked to her. I bet I bet <laughs> and like because you know how they always say oh mind over matter blah 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 and it's yeah. become such a cliche where we're like oh we can do anything but here's the thing I'm starting to think we I think we can do anything oh my gosh <laughs> like you're talking you're talking like that Key and Peele sketch where the basketball player is like you can fly you can fly <laughs> no but here's here's the other thing that's someone one flew no <laughs> that's one of the beliefs that like Whoa. you can meditate so hard that you levitate and here's the thing Bowser here's the thing before you go <laughs> you are making this a crazy podcast uh-huh there's okay Oh, wow. I feel like I'm going way off. I was just about <laughs> to start a whole nother thing, but I'll shorten it. Do it. Like, I recently learned about this thing called Tukdum, which only recently became public knowledge because it was sacred to the monks who practice it. I won't get into it. Look it up. Tukdum. T-U-K-D-U-M. Um, okay. And they've been doing this for like years and it, it truly defies everything we know about yeah. what it means to die. And so to me, I'm like the fact that they, because they someone did like a documentary on them on the this practice. Yeah. So this has been secret knowledge that no one else has known until now, and like all monks do all the time is meditate. So I'm like, I am a hundred percent convinced there are some monks somewhere in this world that are just floating Flying. around. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yes. it's not. I I don't. It's it's so hard because. <laughs> For some reason, it doesn't bother me when I think about it uh, uh, from an Eastern perspective. But when I think about like Western religion, it triggers me because when I think about when I think about Christians right. being like, well, you're probably having health problems because that's sin manifesting in your life. Yeah. And, and, and then I'm like, get away from me. <laughs> and that is a very good response. Yeah, because they're they're framing it in a way that in my opinion, is yeah. not based on something that's helpful. Right. Um, Cause see, okay, here, okay. So this is the last thing I'll say. <laughs> so, it doesn't have to be. You always act like there's someone <laughs> off camera giving us the wrap it up signal. I'm getting the light. Yeah. <laughs> I know, cause I could seriously go on about this forever. Yeah. And we've probably already lost people. I'm so sorry. Anyways, <laughs> so, okay, are you- I love that podcast. So they start, so they started talking about those floating monks. <laughs> it's real dude yeah and i've heard of like witches who like love to anyways that's totally okay anyways i mean it's so. the thing is like i kind of believe it when it comes to witches and monks you know yes. yeah yes and it's because and see here's the thing though uh, us and our mere our mere like dumb bowser sapphire states we're yeah. like okay let me see if i can fly honestly right. it's not gonna work because it's such it's it takes a lot of work and a lot of meditation to get to that point totally and then okay where was i going with this Oh, yes. So she was explaining how, um, like, our body, there's, like, we could, like, not believe something is possible so deep in ourselves that we don't even know that it's happening. And here's an example that I thought of because, okay, are you familiar with, like, have you ever heard of um, the, I don't know if, no, it's not really a theory because i believe it's true that like we we are capable of biting our own fingers and breaking them but the reason why we can't is because our brain is stopping us from doing it have you ever heard yeah of that? yeah I, I don't know if i've heard it about fingers but i've heard that yes that like you could 
yeah, bite through your own mm-hmm. tongue if you wanted to, but you, you just, you, you, you know, don't brain, because yeah. our body is saying, don't do that. Yeah. Even though it's not, you know, cause like I could try to bite it right now, but so deep down inside me, my totally. brain is saying, you're not going to do that bitch. And so that's what theta healing is, is you go down to that state, you get rid of that, and then you come back out, and then you can bite your finger. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully that's not the end-all be-all. No, but there's, it's a form of therapy too, because what you do is you go into that state, you say, I don't want to be anxious. I don't want, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then, so it's a type, I'm going to, I might try it with her because she, she does it. So that's what I was going to ask is like, is the next step you trying it? And, and Yeah. yeah, well, God, I'm you have floating to and shit us. in the next podcast. <laughs> yeah. News slash. That's right. It's time for your news slash. A Quiet Place Part Two has shifted again. This time to September 2021. Even though a third film is already being developed in this franchise, the studio is working to get the sequel into theaters in the midst of a pandemic. Originally, it was penciled in for an April release, but now it won't come out until September 17th. 2021. AMC is bringing back Eli Roth's History of Horror for a third season. Eli Roth said, I'm beyond thrilled to continue this incredible deep dive into horror history with all these legends, rising stars, and fans. I'm so thankful to all those who have come together to celebrate and catalog the genre we love in a show that will play for generations to come. The upcoming third season will feature episodes entitled Sinister Psychics, Infections, Mad Scientists, Apocalyptic Horror, Sequels That Don't Suck, and Holiday Horror. Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho will be coming out around Halloween. Focus Features is now releasing this psychological horror on October 22nd, 2021. Last Night in Soho stars Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomason McKenzie. It's set in London during the 1960s, and plot elements have been largely kept under wraps. But Edgar Wright says, It will feel very different to my other films, but I've always liked films which have a slow burn into something else, and a lot of my movies have that feeling. And that's it. That's your News Slash. News Slash. Nicole Goble is a disability advocate and podcast host of the show Bodies of Horror. Here's our conversation with her about disability representation in the genre. Nicole, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about your show Bodies of Horror and how it came about. So um, I have always been a huge horror fan. I'm an individual with a disability. And, um, you know, ever since I I kind of stumbled upon my first horror film, I was able to kind of make all of these connects to kind of my experience and how horror presented, um, you know, particularly body horror um, kind of presented those experiences. And so um, I believe it was Joe uh, from Horror Queers um, and uh, Val had... uh, you know, sent out um, a tweet saying, hey, we're looking for people that, you know, uh, have some interesting things that they want to say about horror. Um, We're building up this uh, podcast network and we would love to have some different voices on there. And so I sent in my pitch and um, the rest, as they say, is two episode history um, right now. Did you know what your first episode would be when you submitted this pitch? Uh, or how did you come to decide what you'd cover in your first episode? Um, so when I sent in my pitch, 
it was pretty kind of your standard issue, you know, just give kind of a high level idea of what you want to cover. Um, you didn't have to do an episode breakdown, but once um, they had gotten back to me and said, yeah, we're really interested. We want you to break out 12 episodes um, and give like a little descriptor. So yeah, since then I've, I've just kind of followed that map. So it was really about thinking um, in terms of what are, where are some of those more interesting things that I think haven't been discussed, you know, really trying to make a mix of, you know, films that we hear covered on various podcasts, um, you know, pretty frequently and saying, oh, but here's a different spin on it versus films that maybe some people haven't really considered as being relevant to disability. I was super excited to see that in your first episode, you covered The Exorcist and Dr. Giggles. Mm. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad that you didn't, uh, that, yeah, that you're not, you're not shunning some of the uh, lesser known or less prestige entries into the genre. Oh, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's where Bowser shines. That, that is truly where I shine. So actually, something that I really loved that you shared was the story of how what it was Dr. Giggles that was the movie that you said was sort of like a conversation starter at mm -hmm. a sleepover for you. Yeah. And you mentioned that um, it because the character in the movie had a heart condition mm -hmm. and you kind of used it as a way to explain to your friends like some of the stuff that's happening with you. Um, so I guess like what are your thoughts on the importance of good horror movies or good representation of disabilities in horror movies? Well, I mean, I think it goes without saying that representation, good representation um, in all aspects is very important. Um, I think when we talk specifically about disability, um, it's really about going back and looking at films um, going as far back to like Todd Browning's Freaks and kind of moving along the spectrum and piecing apart like, you know, where are those stories that we can connect with? It's not about, um, I think sometimes it can be a really delicate balancing act of just because a film may lean in on some tropes that aren't great or a storyline, um, doesn't hit the way that you think it should, that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It's presenting something in a very specific way and there's still something to take away from that. And mm -hmm. so obviously Dr. Giggles is not, um, you know, 100% medically accurate in its portrayal <laughs> of anything. Um, but, you know, it was like, hey, we just watched this film. You know that heart monitor that that person's wearing? That's just like mine right here. That's pretty cool, right? Um, you know, they weren't like, oh, by the way, did you have a psychotic doctor try to kill you when you were <laughs> having her surgery? No, not my experience yet. But so rep good representation is something that's important. It should always be strived for. And certainly when we see... Um, you know, it falls short, we want to give voice to that. But I think any aspect of representation can be a starting point to say, hey, this is an experience that we can talk about, and then go from there. So 
I don't know if either of you have noticed this type of trend, especially in recent horror movies, I'd say, um, or maybe I'm just noticing it more, but there's this trend where the protagonist in a horror movie has a disability, but mm -hmm. it's almost in a way like, this is like, I'm kind of torn about this and I'm very curious to see what your thoughts on this are because in one way I'm like, okay, so we have a hero in a horror movie who has a disability and mm -hmm. like the story is about them. But then on the other hand, I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering like, we're only seeing protagonists protagonists with disabilities in horror movies because that's a fear that able-bodied pe able people have. Mm. So when they're watching it, they're going, oh, wow, wouldn't it be so scary? Like in The Quiet Place, mm -hmm. you know, like to be deaf in a situation like that, or yeah. even come play, like how the kid was relying on that phone. Um, mm -hmm. Also Hush, like she was deaf and mute, um, mm -hmm. you know, like, so it's, they are the heroes of the story, but then in a way, I'm like, is it weird though that, cause I feel like, oh God, I, I, I don't know if I'm like explaining my, my thoughts very well, but I think because we don't see that many protagonists and heroes in other genres as much mm -hmm. as we do sure. horror, I think that's probably where the problem is, but I don't know, what do you, what do you think about all of that? Yeah, I mean, you know, just like we are talking about with the flip side of that with the villains, you know, to have a hero or protagonist like in Hush or A Quiet Place, which um, I've recorded an episode of the podcast kind of looking at both of those films side by side because one has a deaf actor in the role, one does not. Mm -hmm. And looking at how even that influences portrayal and one of the things that strikes me about A Quiet Place is that, yeah, she is deaf. And while that does pose additional risks for her in this environment, it also has made it easier for her to have this form of communication with her family. And because of her disability, her family now has a way to communicate with each other, not just her. They all communicate True, yeah. using ASL. Um, so there's a benefit to that. One of the things that I absolutely love about A Quiet Place is that she's a protagonist and a hero at the end, um, not because she straps on her cochlear implant and it works. So it's not her having to fix herself yeah. to save uh, the day, you know, so that to me, that's like, okay, this is something, this, this is another little layer that we're adding in into these stories. That's really interesting. And I like that. Um, and like with Hush, you are kind of deconstructing the damsel in distress, um, particularly the, this, the disabled uh, damsel in distress uh, trope. And so I think that there's, again, I think there's a lot of different layers to them, but yeah, I mean, I think where some of that may be stunted um, in further development is like you just said, we have representation here that's starting to come more to the forefront, but that's not, that's not happening in a much larger scale. Mm. You know, where's a rom-com yeah. that has 
um, an individual with a disability as a lead, um, things like that. So, you know, we do have to work to kind of get the picture a little bit wider. Do you think, and not to pat the genre on its back too much, but I feel like the horror genre, even though a lot of what we discuss on the show is that it, it, it has missed the mark on inclusion many, many times. I also feel like you can point to instances within the genre where it was um, more forward thinking in inclusion. Do you agree with that? That, and if so, why? Why? Did, why is the horror genre seemingly um, a better genre in representing different, different types of people? Because that's its foundation. I mean, we go all the way back to like Universal Monsters, the classic mm-hmm. monster tales. Those are tales about disability, mm-hmm. um, and so it's built into the foundation. Um, you know, again, one of my favorite subgenre is body horror, just because obviously there's such a direct parallel to these really complex stories of how we're interacting with our bodies. Mm. Um, so again, I think that the horror genre as a whole has really left a door open for more nuanced tales of uh, that, that kind of circle back to themes that are relevant to disability because it's, at the end of the day, take kind of all of the specific elements away from heart. These are just stories about people trying to survive hmm. um, day to day. And we all do that. It's universal. And one of the unique things that horror interjects into it is they start to put in those hurdles, those roadblocks, those challenges that make it more thrilling. So, um, and that's something that, you know, obviously, is relevant to the disability experience. Like one of my favorite characters in horror period is Franklin from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. And people are like, what? He's the worst character <laughs> ever? And it's like, no, he's absolutely not um, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm sorry to inform you. <laughs> and, you know, when you hear people talk about, um, I can't remember what podcast it was, Um, But I was listening to an episode on Texas Chainsaw Massacre and they were saying, you know, there's no way that you could have a character like this in a film today. And I questioned that because I'm like, what about the character is wrong? It's the situation. It's the fact that, of course, his situation is going to be a lot different. The van is going to be accessible. Um, so you're not going to have someone have to put out little pieces of wood to get him in and out. He's going to have a chair that's going to make him a little bit more um, mobile and autonomous in being able to get around instead of depending on um, you know, folks to stop ditching him mm-hmm. and actually push him around and be there to support him. So it's, you know, there's just a lot of things that um, you can go back and look at these films. And I do it all the time. Like I'll put on some movie I haven't seen in forever. Just be like, oh, I haven't seen it. I remember liking it. I'll watch it and I'll be like, whoa, this is absolutely mind blowing. This is a complete like interesting narrative that I had not picked up on before. Uh 
So That's what great. are some things that you would like to see more of in future horror movies? And what are some things you would like to see a lot less of? Oh, I would like to see a lot more actors with disabilities being cast in these roles. Um, you know, like if you're going to go back and remake uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre again, um, you know, let's not cut out Franklin and let's have someone that uses a wheelchair in that role. Um, that could be a basic place to start. I would love to see more of that. I would love to see um, individuals with disabilities behind the camera and writing their own stories as well. I think that's really imperative. Um, and of course, this is all to say, um, you know, a lot of the examples that we talk about are visible disabilities, but invisible disabilities also exist. And so, you know, when we talk about someone that has disabilities or doesn't, there's a lot of assumptions that can go into play. Um, because I don't, you know, I can walk by someone uh, on the street and they may have an invisible disability. Um, and I would know, but I wouldn't think of them necessarily as being a person with a disability right away. So to say all that, to say that there aren't individuals with disabilities behind the camera writing these stories, I think it's hard to say, but would love to see even more um, folks uh, kind of getting their voices heard in that respect. Um, what I'd like to see less of is kind of in that same vein, co-opting of these stories and experiences. You know, really let us tell these stories and don't, you know, take our stories and our experiences and then kind of funnel them through, um, you know, the voice of someone that doesn't really understand it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's one of the issues that I have, for example, with the movie Hush. Um, the disability is completely sidelined and it's portrayed in ways that I think are really strange. Um, and it's kind of hard for me to, to talk about specifically because it's just kind of in the whole package. Um, it just doesn't really seem authentic. Um, and I talk a little bit more about that in the episode, but because it's, you know, it was written and acted out by individuals that don't have that experience. Not to say they didn't do their homework um, because they certainly did, but individuals that live that experience bring so much richness to those stories. Um, so yeah, that would be something that I would like to see. And of course, like we talked about before, you know, I would like to see more people just willing to have conversations and say like, yeah, maybe this portrayal isn't great. That doesn't mean the movie isn't good. It doesn't mean this character isn't interesting. It's an example. It's getting us to think about more abstract ideas and that's good. Well, this has been super insightful. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Yeah, thank you. This has been so wonderful. I've listened to your guys' podcast and it is phenomenal. So I really appreciate the work that you guys are doing. Thank you. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. In today's Better Off Dead, we talk with Vanessa Guerrero, comedian, writer, and self-professed horror dork. We're discussing whether or not the 1932 cult classic Freaks could be remade for a modern audience... Or is it better off dead? All right, Vanessa, thank you for joining us. We're looking forward to this conversation around Todd Browning's Freaks. First up, when did you see the film? And were you a fan of the film? This is a question for both of you, Sapphire and Vanessa. How did you get introduced to Freaks? Um, my first introduction to Freaks actually was just like all of the pop culture references around it, whether it be Simpsons or the Ramones song. Mm-hmm. Um, I I had the older sister that's just like cooler than you in every way. So she had seen everything before me. So I'd like that's talked good. about it and I was like, oh, that's such a weird lyric. And she's like, oh no, that's actually from a movie. Uh, and uh, she, she, I don't, I'm, Almost 100% sure she probably, like, got it off of, like, Napster or some kind of torrent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because she had it on, like, a DVD that just said Freaks on it. Yeah. And uh, she showed it to me, and it was one of just those entry points in which I was, like, way too young, but I fell in love with it immediately. Mm-hmm. It was so much my jam. And, like, growing up in Orange County that has such, like, a pretty veneer on it, whenever I'd play hooky, I'd play hooky to Venice that had a lot of sideshow attractions and had a lot of, like, um, you know, freak show-style museums of uh, mm-hmm. Venice in its heyday. So it's it's always been a huge appeal to me, and I love, I love freaks. Yeah. Yeah. Sapphire, what about you? When did you first see the film? My story is not as interesting. I saw it yesterday <laughs> for the That's first fine. time. <laughs> hey, so what did you think? Um, <laughs> it's always funny because we'll have different points of entry for a lot of these things. And so uh, we'll talk about a movie that I might love, but I have kind of rose colored glasses toward it because I saw it when I was mm-hmm. a kid. And Sapphire watched it this week and she's like, you know, it's dumb, right, Bowser? And I'm like, <laughs> you're right, it is dumb. But that may not be true about Freaks. What did you What did you think about Freaks? I mean, like, so overall, I did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, going into it, I kept thinking, wait, is this supposed to be a horror movie? Like, right. I kept thinking of that through the whole time because nothing felt scary to me. And then I thought, oh, is it the fact that they're all sideshow performers is that the horror aspect and then I I don't know so that's sort of what I was thinking I did enjoy it (laughs) yeah it's it's a weird film to take in uh I for me I saw it in film school and we actually saw it on film and I remember being really engaged and also kind of confused in regard to 
right. Am I supposed to take this as horror because of the the characters and the the people you're showing me? Because I don't yeah. find them horrifying. But mm -hmm. was that yeah. how they were presented to an audience at the time? Um, but then there's a lot of sympathy and nuance to the characters. And so yeah. I, I don't mm -hmm. know that they were purely being objectified. Uh, but anyway, then I didn't rewatch it until this week. And uh, and I kind of just had the same questions when I watched it this week. <laughs> Is the film objectifying and exploitative in, in, in ways toward these performers? Because for those that don't know, uh, Todd Browning cast performers with disabilities and um, and they're our main characters. How do you feel about his portrayal of these of these people? I think also some back context also helps in terms of knowing how much was cut out based on what yeah. studio requested. And I don't know much about that. So Freaks is actually about 30 minutes. What we know is about 30 minutes shorter than what the original product was supposed to be. It's yeah. um, a lot of time. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's 30 minutes. and almost exclusively other than like some scenes in which uh cleopatra and hercules were like further punished almost exclusively a big chunk of that time are more humanizing scenes for those actors huh. more mm. scenes of like them at home them having their interpersonal relationships just just more day-to-day -day actions because the studio didn't feel the same empathy and the same desire to humanize these actors the way Todd Browning originally did because mm. when he wrote the perspective like when he wrote it as a horror movie it was initially supposed to be a Lon Chaney thing but Lon Chaney died uh and so he wrote this based off of a different story and very much wanted his villains and his like terrifying characters to be Cleopatra and Hercules mm -hmm. uh but when studios initially saw it not only were they horrible to Todd Browning and the actors on set. Um, F actually, F. Scott Fitzgerald uh, walked in on the actresses that played the conjoined twins and like allegedly like ran out and barfed and wrote some story that he probably lifted the best parts from Zelda anyway. Oh uh, my gosh, wow. <laughs> um, but uh, they, they were actively very against the castings and also just these actors in general. So after that first screening, they demanded that a lot of these more empathetic humanizing scenes be cut because for them, their perspective was, we're scared of something that's different than what we know. We're, right. we're afraid of, the, right. of anything not cookie cutter. Well, I guess that would make sense then why um, I would still find the presentation of it somewhat confusing mm -hmm. because it does feel mm -hmm. like it's, it, if I can say its heart is in the right place, yeah, but, but then the material uh, isn't there to match what I'm kind of assuming its heart is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is there in pieces. I I, I was surprised at rewatching it how much of the uh, of the day to day was included, and that it mm -hmm. it did feel um, kind of slice of lifey in a way I didn't remember. Mm -hmm. Only because the parts that get uh, digested by pop culture are the bigger elements, yeah. the you know the more theatrical elements, and obviously the gooba gobble <laughs> um, we accept her <laughs> yeah yeah exactly do you think what was in that cut footage would have changed the way as culture accepted this film would it be as much of a cult film you mm -hmm. know or because it's so bite-sized part of me thinks that's why it's it's lasted it's an hour long yeah that i feel like 
the bite size helped for its resurgence in the 60s when mm -hmm. it was you know rediscovered and and people fell in love with it again but i feel like the extra 30 minutes would put it even further into contention now uh because yeah. there's there's so many movies that specifically like live in the realm of horror movies usually focused on like someone with disabilities that doesn't actually have any or mm -hmm. it's not written by people that have like experienced or been around anybody and todd browning like grew up in these traveling shows so mm. he had like a genuine um he, freaks was a tribute to the people that he grew up around and so many of the times that you see this done now it's done so much from a voyeuristic setting that right. i think the additional 30 minutes would put it back into these discussions of like why aren't we holding it the same amount of standards now where it's like why why is your cast all able-bodied yeah mm -hmm. what do you think uh both of you uh, about the the themes that this movie's running off of a lot of people uh have analyzed it to be about class mm -hmm. um i mean it can be about a number of things it can also be very literal in the sense that it's about the dynamics within this working group of performers that are all part of this traveling show. But then I guess from a macro level, a lot of people have taken it to be a message about class. How do you take its its themes? I say a big one, mostly because it was a big conversation in 1932 as well. Um, Freaks is a big, loud and clear message for anti-eugenics themes. Mm -hmm. um, it was something that was in you know, heavy discussion in the 30s in terms of like what the prime specimen is, uh, what what kind of human you want to breed and like, can they have sexual lifestyles? Can, can you know, can they reproduce? And, you know, we only want to foster that. And there are so many of the performers in Freaks that like have sexual relationships, have sexual agencies. Like the conjoined sisters both have separate sex lives and mm -hmm. it's not presented as anything that's like particularly difficult it's just something that they manage because yeah. they're just two different women with like two different ideas of what they want in their partners and honestly i can't really think of anything since that also highlights that and so much so much of freaks especially for where it was in the 30s has such a strong anti-eugenics theme because mm -hmm. it's like this this is just how when you know way before we actually have accommodations when you just give somebody autonomy they get to live sapphire did you have any misconceptions about the film before watching it like did you think you kind of knew what it was going in and were you surprised at any point like did you know the poster or kind of know the mythos around it but uh yeah like i had only heard about it like in passing um and i I, I don't know. It's it's weird because every time I hear of the movie, I always hear it paired with how it's so problematic. So yeah. I was expecting something way worse. Um, so like while I'm watching it, I'm like, wait, this seems like it's humanizing these people. It doesn't feel like I don't know. I felt like I was like, yeah, I'm interested in hearing like watching their mundane life <laughs> activities and seeing them just yeah. be like normal people. Um, so I was expecting to see something that made me go, whoa, you know, but yeah. like that never <laughs> happened. <laughs> I think it's also hard. We, we talk about this on the show a lot that within the horror genre, even though I know there's 
an argument to be made that this isn't a horror film, but looking at it as a as a horror film, um, things are heightened in horror mm-hmm. and uh, judgment is heightened. Consequence is heightened. You know, they're often morality tales and with inevitable endings uh, to a degree. And as I was watching this, I thought, is 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 what's problematic about it? The idea that if you wrong this people group, their only response is is one of violence and to make mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. like them. Like, is that what's problematic? The idea that their vengeance is uh, is kind of reductive. But then watching it like a horror film, I'm like, but that is the natural progression of this plot. Right. These these people are mis- are, are mistreating them. And they will get their comeuppance. And yeah. it's poetic in the context of a horror film. Yeah, by the end, I was like, yeah, I'm so glad that fucking bitch like, <laughs> right. punished in some way. Yeah, I was like rooting for them. They should so put then- that on the poster. <laughs> like, I that actually highlights what I think might be the intended horror element of the movie which is the idea that nothing is scarier than reaping what you've sown and uh it when you highlight the villain as this like physically beautiful able-bodied person which like probably is going to be the viewer Mm -hmm. uh there are so many movies that horror's main thing is empathy its main thing Mm -hmm. is making you feel like the person feels on screen and i feel like it works at its best too when it makes the viewer realize like oh i'm living on uh i'm living on a hollowed grave and i i'm the one that put that person there Mm -hmm. and something about the fact that the villain the only person in the movie that chances are looks like the person that's sitting in the theater because theaters aren't really that accessible when you're not able yeah. when, when you're like mm-hmm. not able-bodied anyway uh anything that holds up the mirror to you is what makes it scary yeah it's almost it's not saying well i don't know i guess i i was about to say it's not necessarily saying we should be afraid mm-hmm. of of mm-hmm. of losing able-bodiedness it, it's saying Cleopatra would be though because yeah. she she was running off of vanity and lording her ability above others and then even taking advantage of them and seeing yeah. them as less than human mm-hmm. um yeah hmm. that actually reminds me the one part where they're um like a couple of the sideshow performers are by a river, I think. And then like yeah. their teacher or something. I'm not sure what the relationship was there. Um, and then these like two men come over and they call them like freaks and stuff. And yeah. then the woman says that they're children. So she calls them children. And that kind of made me uh, pause a bit because I don't believe all of those people were actually children i think some of them were adults so i got a little bit weird about that so i was like is she you know like is that infantilizing them or like why was she calling them children i felt like by the end of her statement she was more referring to them as god's children we are all god's children Mm -hmm. they are equally they are equally god's children as any of us i felt like was her sentiment when she first said it to the guy yeah Mm -hmm. I, i was like Oh, interesting. She's regarding them know. all to be children. Because then I think when when he walks away, she mm-hmm. says to them, 
don't you remember what I said? Don't be afraid. All of God's children will be looked after or something like that. Oh, I see. Okay. I forgot about that part. <laughs> like I, I think she was then kind of cementing the point um, in a way that I took then more figuratively, I guess. Interesting. Yeah. And but, like biblical terminology. Well, but like biblical yeah. terminology, they love using child specifically for like, that's what right. we all are to like the almighty right. father, you know. Yeah. Like, don't infantilize me, guys. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am an adult. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, so looking at the film through a modern lens, if you were to hear that they're remaking Freaks, is there a filmmaker or an approach that you think would make the correct version, I say in loose quotes, because I don't know what I'm saying by saying correct, but what could be done with the property now um, by a modern filmmaker for a 2021 audience? Or, or is it a, is it a no-go? Is, is the property better off dead? I think it's one of those things that's so hard to make now because, I mean, part of the beauty of Freaks is that it's one of the few time capsules that exist for like, disabled actors of that mm -hmm. era at all just at yeah. all um and i think that's one of the reasons why it's so valued and so treasured that not only is it a positive depiction where at the time you were either you know abandoned or uh relegated to like the dregs of society and you were never either on camera or highlighted a lot of the times the only work that you can get was in sideshows and it's such a time capsule of where it was to where we are now and actually having these conversations and and giving people with disabilities their space to express that they want autonomy and they want the ability to just live their lives you know same as any able-bodied person does i don't think it's one of those things that can really be remade because from where it was it was light years ahead already mm -hmm. it it had so much more of a loving perspective if i could have changed anything it would have been uh adding those additional 30 minutes and also unfortunately uh the able-bodied actors were blacklisted the disabled actors were relegated to the kind of roles that mgm wanted for their freak types which were no humanization at all and wow. it derailed todd browning's career yeah so if there was a way to where like we could reverse time and have it be taken for what it was at the time that would have been incredible yeah i think that if freaks were to be remade now um the i think at least the director or the writer like someone who's at the top needs to be disabled or from yeah. this uh group um i think that if anybody else did that I because we were we already have movies where abled people direct and write them without having any of the knowledge mm -hmm. um and so I think that would have to be like number one requirement and then that's a problem like I don't think I know of any and it's not that they don't it's not that disabled directors or writers don't exist it's that they're not getting as much work as yeah people. I'm in agreement with both of you I think it, it, it could be really cool if the remake quote of Freaks was just the original, restored somehow. <laughs> yeah. They could find that footage, mm -hmm. reconstruct Todd Browning's original vision, 
and and get that full cut out to an audience somehow. But uh, from what I understand, that footage is is long gone unless we yeah. someone discovers it in a canister someday in someone's basement. Ooh. It happens. It happens. <laughs> That's why I saw a very pink print of the thing. Uh, oh, really? the, the only 70 millimeter, uh, like the only 70 millimeter that exists of the thing, people thought it was gone for the longest time. They found it in a basement and it had like some sun damage. So it's pretty pink looking, <laughs> but it's the last one left and it looks good otherwise. Yeah. Wow. Well, then here's hoping that somebody discovers a, a, a sun damaged version of Todd Browning's yes. original. <laughs> Welcome to the Alter Society. This week, we are discussing You Should Have Left, starring Kevin Bacon, Amanda Seyfried, and directed by David Kep. Sapphire, what did you think? I should have left the room <laughs> once it started playing. Hell yeah. I was hoping you'd say something like that. <laughs> um, man, hard agree. Hard agree. I don't know why this movie exists. Right. And yeah. And, and not to just sound like a troll, but, you know, normally you watch something and even if it doesn't work for you, you're like, OK, well, I get what they thought they were doing. Right. Or I couldn't it, get that either. Yeah. yeah to especially because this was based on a novel. And oh, I was what? like, yeah, I was like, you optioned that book to to what? Make a very vague, uh, half baked haunted house, but not really haunted house story. Well, yeah. you didn't need to base that on anything. That could have just been a really bad screenplay. Right wild to me that it just mm -hmm. never clicked into being anything no and i am a bacon head through and through really whoo you put you put k bakes in there and mm. i'm i'm already like i'm halfway in at that point so for me to not go all in that's saying something yeah did you like stir of echoes i don't think i've seen that we should watch that for the show oh, um, okay. because same director, same lead actor, mm -hmm. very similar in premise in ways. Um, Stir of Echoes, they, they move into a house and the house just it's haunted. Uh, but it, it came out the same year as Sixth Sense. And so it was, oh. was kind of like, uh, fuck off, Stir of Echoes. But I remember <laughs> I remember liking it. Um, uh and I was expecting maybe a, a follow-up spiritually to Stir of Echoes, but this was a mess. To unpack it a little bit, um, do you understand what the house was to these characters? No. What, what the um, uh, metaphor was? What was actual? What was imagined? <sighs> I understood nothing. <laughs> the first thing I did not understand was why Amanda Seyfried is Kevin Bacon's wife. That really bothered me. I am yeah. very, very touchy when it comes to like wide age gaps, yeah. especially in movies. Um, it just goes. <laughs> and they tried to, they kind of tried to mention it or make a thing of it, but they didn't really have anything yeah. to say about that. Like it was clear yeah. he was insecure. What, what are the things? I don't even know where to begin talking I about know, this because it was such I a know. mess but it was oddly intimate in the beginning uh yeah. I, I was like oh there's actually some character here and mm -hmm. we're seeing some really specific moments in their lives and even his insecurity around aging and yeah. not being allowed on the set of the movie his wife was in because he, you know like 
he was recognized as being a, a possible criminal. Mm-hmm. I, I, no, but- yeah. I thought all that was really interesting. And I was yeah. like, okay, let's see where it goes. It feels like it's going somewhere. And then it totally. didn't go anywhere. <laughs> it didn't. It's like they didn't stick the landing. And and there's, I don't know, I don't have the language to explain what bothers me about this, but I'll just say the way my brain wants to say it. And you can tell me if it makes sense. Uh, it's one of those movies that didn't need me to watch it. Like mm. it, it set up its own little mystery that was just kind of about rearranging scenes and hiding information from us. And then it kind of spun it around. And then in the end, the character was like, I know what it is now. I get it. And everyone was like, okay, bye. And he's like, bye. And I'm like, okay, so y'all are good. I didn't need to be here. (laughs) Like, it was just, (laughs) it was like a Rubik's Cube that was sitting in one of its like little automated solvers. Yeah. I don't don't know if that makes sense, but. No, it does. does. Yeah. I didn't know what I was meant to discover. Mm Mm-hmm. Because there was um, no way for us to know any of the information other than just sitting and waiting for them to decide when to give it to us as exposition. Right. All right. Well, it's clear that you and I didn't like it, but let's mm-hmm. take a look at what some of the altar viewers thought. Kathy C. said, the story had potential and some of the scenes were chilling. The actors were poorly cast. I would mm. disagree, Kathy, because I love K-Bakes. <laughs> um. The I'm awake, I'm asleep, was it a dream mechanism grew tiring very quickly. Yes. Very true. Uh, the shame of it is that with some retooling, it could have been a much better movie. I agree. Yeah. There's got to be a better movie in there. There's got to be a better mm-hmm. story in, in that book. Um, best auntie ever said, I went in hoping it'd be good. I was intrigued in the beginning. But then when I realized what was happening, I threw my hands up, rolled my eyes and said, are you seriously? Are you fucking kidding me? It was bad, but it had potential. <laughs> yes, it had potential because it did start off interesting and then it, yeah. it just lost a, it just didn't have a message. <laughs> because that Kevin Bacon and Amanda Seyfried, I thought were both really good at bringing the little human moments in, even when they're just talking, when she's in the bath and he's trying to buy himself time to look at her phone. I liked that exchange. Mm-hmm. I liked him confronting her about the infidelity because it went not as you'd expect. He was very just cold. Sherry H says, I liked it overall, but I was a bit confused about the plot of the movie. Like what was actually happening? The house was alive, (laughs) haunted, like a parallel universe. I just didn't get it. Soft sigh. Okay, so how many protractors do you give this movie? Because at one point, uh, the guy that runs the general store gives Kevin Bacon a little protractor and tells him to find how uneven the house is because that'll (laughs) prove to you that it was built by the devil. Ugh. how many protractors so do you give dumb. this movie um i'm gonna give it 0. 0.5 0. 0.5 mm-hmm. yeah all right okay check me out i'm gonna give it two really i know and i don't know why i think because i really <laughs> like kevin bacon i liked what was in there that didn't quite land. And I liked right. the house. I, I enjoyed the experience enough of just kind of watching the pretty images. Okay. But um, but it really didn't didn't no. work for me. So I give it two protractors. Okay. If I ever went back into a different dimension or timeline to tell myself to leave a note for myself, I'd sign it. I'd say right? be like, this, this is, is you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I'd I'd sign it with a little secret that only I know about myself. I'd be like, right. You know, just really future Bowser. Yeah, exactly. I would. I'd sign it future. Get out of the house. Future Bowser. (laughs) Exactly. Before we sign off, here's what's coming up on Alter this week. 
The brass elephant in the room on January 29th. A man sits in an endless black void until a peculiar partner is presented to him in the form of a chandelier. Then we follow you on February 1st. A famed influencer tries to escape her followers after the government conducts a nationwide social media shutdown. And then self-assembly on February 3rd. In a self-assembly cabinet, bereaved parents find a monstrous substitute for their dead son. That's all for this week's episode of Alter Weekly. Until next time, stay altered. You can catch new episodes of Alter Weekly every Thursday. Get it wherever you get your podcasts and make sure to subscribe and download. Alter Weekly is produced by Andrew Bowser with theme music by Sapphire Sandalo. Alter Weekly is executive produced by Stephen Michael and Lauren Palmer at Gunpowder and Sky. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.